6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapters 20 through 24. Okay, we're in the book of Proverbs, chapters 20 through 24. And I want to just, by way of just warm up here, I want to remind you, what is your most important stewardship? Is it your career, your family? Your spouse, those are all good shots, but no, what's number one? Your own heart. It's interesting, all through the scripture, and especially the book of Proverbs, you'll notice if you watch carefully, pierce through the specific advice that guard your heart, your priorities, your focus, and that's really what it's all about. Proverbs 4.23, back then we, we looked at it, it said, keep thy heart with all diligence. That's another word you don't hear in our vocabulary much, being diligent. It's interesting, all through all cultures, through all the, the people that were the winners were the ones that were diligent. Keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, indeed. And every mistake you get into, every terrible error you make starts in your heart by uh, following the wrong things. You know, check out the destination before you buy a ticket. Okay, uh, the book of Proverbs, of course, is God's book on how to wise up and live. And I'm not going to go review all the other fundamentals, but just to, by way of perspective. It's, it, this goes far beyond keeping laws. You know, that uh, uh, there, there's so many laws that, that uh, uh, people sometimes take a look at life with the do's and don'ts. This book goes far beyond that. It's full of just sound advice and how to get the most out of life. And, uh, and we're not just talking about sneaking through. We're talking about having an aggressively dynamic life. That's what it's all about. And I might insert just another editorial here. If you really want to grow spiritually, if you really want to raise the bar on your personal life, one of the most powerful things you can do, I've never seen it fail, and that's to get into a small study group that meets during the week in a home or whatever to study the Word of God. Not just fellowship and pray, that's good too, but the focus should be on the Word of God where you can ask questions, and you share together, verse by verse, expositionally. Any book of the Bible doesn't matter. Work it through, verse by verse, as a group. Small group. Small group. So the magic thing. Unbelievable. Proper, uh, proper and improper attitudes are dealt with in the book of Proverbs. Conduct and the characteristics that are referred, and they're all referred to in very succinct, penetrating ways. We're talking about using a rifle, not a shotgun. We're talking about long, you know, long experience... In, encaps, encapsulated in a short sentence. Very pithy stuff. Some caveats, of course. This is experience. It's not just theological dogma. The ones we're looking at were written by Solomon. And uh, it, uh, it uh, obviously considered uh, one of the wisest men that ever lived. And uh, Now, some of these assertions that are made, you may feel, doesn't really work in our world. Because they are generalizations, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, the fact that they don't seem to fit our world is that 
a measure of how decrepit our world has become. Now, they are, since they are generalizations, there are exceptions. It's not as if these things are immutable, uh, uh, irrevocable. They are generalizations of how to win at life. And, of course, they have exceptions. And both the general statements and the exceptions should be studied and thought about. And uh, so, now theologically, they, of course, end up, uh, vengeance is mine, say the Lord. There will be justice in the ultimate end, even though we see injustice everywhere we go in our, in our culture. And uh, so we'll see these things worked out in the age to come. Now, the outline, of course, that wisdom and folly were contrasted in the first nine chapters. That's, that gave us the warm-up for the book and gave us an overall perspective. And we're now in what some people would consider the second section, Proverbs uh, chapters 10 through 24. And these were the ones that were written and set in order by Solomon himself. They'll be followed in the next session by the Proverbs of Solomon that were set in order in the days of Hezekiah, a couple of generations later, in chapters 25 through 29. And we leave to last what I consider the dessert. We're going to go see the oracle of Agor in chapter 30 and the Proverbs of Lemuel's mother in 31. These will contain some surprises. You'll see, we'll show you some stuff that I do not believe you'll find in any commentary, and yet will blow you away. I... I I've become enamored with chapter 30 almost as much as I have Genesis chapter 5, but we'll move on. So we're in the second section of this. Chapter 20. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Well, no surprise here. I think most of us recognize the threats here. But I should point out the word wine. There's a lot of talk, a lot of confusion in the body of Christ with respect to the biblical use of the various words. The word wine here is yain. It most common, it's the most common, there's many words used for wine, four or five of them actually, but yain is the most common one and it refers to fermented grape juice. Now there are many denominations that um, say that, well, it really was grape juice, it wasn't fermented. And I, I understand the good intentions but, I'll, but grape juice, first of all, there's no way to, in their culture, there's no way to keep it from fermenting. You're not talking about refrigeration. Grape juice has a natural way of preserving itself by fermentation. And that's why you put it in these flexible bags so they don't burst. And that's why they, and we could go on and on about this. So now many people serve grape juice rather than wine at communion in deference to people who want to stay from away from wine, and that's to be commended, that's fine, but let's not confuse the reality of the history there. The word for fresh grape juice is tarosh, and it's also used of wine when it's just very young before it's fully fermented. But uh, uh, yawn is the place you, in most of these passages you'll see. Now in contrast to wine, which is a mocker it says here, strong drink is raging. And the word there in the Hebrew is shakar. And it's translated strong drink in the King James throughout both Old and New Testaments. Uh, I mean, that, that term shows up everywhere. Um, it refers to drink typically made from non-grapes, like barley, dates, or, pomegranate, or specifically pomegranates are mentioned. And uh, it doesn't refer to distilled liquor. There's no reason to believe they had distilled liquor, I don't believe. But that's not, that's not the issue anyway. Clearly, strong drink is always prohibited. Wine is a little more problematical. In any case, 
Intoxication is prohibited. It was forbidden for priests, Levitical 10.9. Then the Nazarites took a vow. It was included in that in number 6. And a number of other places. It's, it's, it's prohibited, forbidden. There are a lot of passages. We don't have to muster a lot of passages that condemn drunkenness. And it's remarkable to discover there are many societies that uh, drink a lot of wine but never see intoxication because that's a question of moderation, table wine, what have you. But in any case, clearly the book of Proverbs here, and also we're going to encounter it again in chapter 23, a handful of verses there, and also in the last chapter we're going to find. So I don't think we need to spend a lot of time uh, hammering on the intoxication issue. And so wine is, a, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Clearly, uh, the abuse of wine is a trap that many, the, the real argument against wine is that it often is a doorway into alcoholism. And something like 88% of the people in prison are there with either alcohol or drugs. And over half the highway accidents are done with, are, are laid to the accountability of liquor. So alcoholism is a, da is a terrible, terrible thing. We could go on and on with statistics. I'll spare you all that here. And the danger with wine is that often is a prelude to that. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. And so many people avoid wine altogether to, as a, a, a way of shunning any possibility of alcoholism. The fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion, whoso provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. Well, that doesn't take much amplification. You don't fight City Hall, in other words, right? It's an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. Any meddlers here? Can I see a show of hands? We're all guilty, I'm sure. It's an honor for a man to cease from strife. It's interesting... One thing I'd meant to do, and I didn't get around to it, is just to make a list of the times that avoiding strife is mentioned in the Proverbs. It's not a question of who's right or wrong. The idea is to avoid strife. Where there's contention, there's pride, the Scripture says. And we know how God feels about pride. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. To understand this proverb, you need to understand in, in that region, winter was the time they prepared for spring planting. It wasn't snow like we think of it generally. It was, it, was, it was the rainy season. And so it's not a pleasant time to work necessarily, but you did that if you're going to have a decent crop to prepare, prepare for planting. Failure to work during the cold weather would leave the fields unplanted or less than optimally planted. So that's what it's saying. The sluggard, the lazy guy, won't plow by reason of the cold or any other excuse that's convenient. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. Again, it's a call to diligence. It's that simple. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Interesting. A man of understanding will draw it out. And uh, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You know, this is... Um, <laughs> A faithful man who can find. You know, one of the disturbing things, and uh, I feel sorry for the gals that are looking for a husband. Because years ago, you had a halfway decent chance of getting a guy that had some personal integrity, whose word meant something, who understood the sanctity of a commitment. In today's culture, it's, a hard, it's hard to find. 
I'm a guy. I'm not here to, I'm speaking of guys. Um, it's astonishing to me to see the deterioration in the business world of plain, simple business ethics. Not talking theology here, just ethics. Uh, business etiquette. This country became great with a dictum that said, my word is my bond. And on that basis, that's what created Wall Street. On the curb, as they called it. And uh, they may have been uh, men that were not necessarily moral, but they had ethics. And the, the, com the, the, the country was built on that. And uh, I can tell you candidly, I, I remember... I, I, I apologize if I'm overworking anecdotes you've all heard before, but I can vividly remember when I left the Ford Motor Company to start my first company. And I was backed by a group of investors in, in that region that, uh, that uh, I, I can remember vividly the first meeting of this new company that was being formed. And uh, the f first thing that happens is that when you have your first meeting of board, form a new corporation, when you have your first board meeting, typically what you've had dummy directors create the corporation, your first meeting is to put in the real directors and get on with business. And the first piece of paper you sign is called a waiver of notice because the bylaws typically say you have 30 days to notice for a board meeting, and this didn't have 30 days, you're starting, so you, all the directors sign a, what's called a waiver of notice. And I can remember sitting in this room with these attorneys around the table, and the first, I was about to sign this waiver of notice, and I said, hey guys, do you realize, I'm stunned, let's just stop and take stock here, and they patiently, they were experienced guys, this is my first deal, so I was kind of overwhelmed by what was going on, I said, do you realize, we have $1,250,000 deposited in the bank downstairs. We have two PDB-10s worth about $3 million each being finished in Maynard, Massachusetts for us to be shipped to Ann Arbor when they're finished in about a month or so. Have six guys who quit their jobs that are in apartments in Maynard, Massachusetts learning the software for those machines. And we had a Delaware corporation formed. All this without a single scrap of paper being signed. Because I was about to sign the first piece of paper as CEO of this new company. Everything else was done by telephone calls and handshakes, not a piece of paper. Now they just laughed, I mean they smiled at me patiently because that's just the way things are done. The right kind of a guy can pick up the phone and create a Delaware corporation in one hour. And then the dummy directors, you know, it's all put together and you, you replace it with the real people when your time comes. And the investors, to make sure, knowing that this was my first deal leaving Ford, to, to, to give me comfort that the money would be there, they just deposit it in the bank. And I was the only signature on the account. Um, and uh, Ken Olson was the head of DEC, Digital Equipment Corporation, and I called and told him I was going to leave and start a company. I need a couple of PDP-10s. They were hard to get. He says, Chuck, I'll, I'll cover me. You're covered. Cover me with paper when you get it put together. And so he set them aside for me, which was a big deal in those days. But the point is... Um, that stunned me, to realize that's the way things are done. Um, and uh, as I look through a 30-year executive career, I sat on 12 public boards. Um, I was chairman and CEO of uh, ha uh, half of those. I can only remember one case in 30 years where we had to remove a, a director, for a, a key manager, for breach of fiduciary duty. It just wasn't done. I've been in professional Christianity, so to speak, full-time ministry, for the last 15 years. We've had to do it three times. 
It's astonishing. Now, part of that is we're in an environment where people just don't have the training. Many people don't know what the word fiduciary even means. But part of it also, even in the business world, is a deterioration of the business world. I, it was unthinkable to have an Enron and some of those things happen in the public arena. Uh, astonishing. But a faithful man who can find. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Basics, fundamental. It, 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 it still puzzles me how in our whole Christian thing with our Bible studies and other things we study and emphasize that somehow there are some basics of integrity that seem to be missing. It's astonishing to me to realize even within the Christian body there are people that don't pay their bills, that stretch the payables. There are people that uh, have no grasp of the sanctity of a commitment. I understand from the polls that the divorce rate in the Christian body is no better, probably worse, than the secular world. Something's wrong. Well, moving on. Uh, the just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. See, that's one of the things we've done in our culture. We've disconnected character from destiny. The old-fashioned idea was if you were straight and solid and honest and had a reputation, that that was a winning strategy. And today the mood is that's a sucker strategy. It's not what you, it's how far can you go without getting caught kind of mentality. A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. How important it is to have leadership that is accountable and also sees to it accountability. I knew that our country was in trouble right after the last election. When the new party came in and took over, they didn't hold the previous people accountable. The kids that stripped the White House before they left, talking about just some trivial stuff, never held accountable. There were people in top offices that were guilty of treason, bribery, witness intimidation, jury tampering, and that's all documented. Uh, taking foreign money to camp to, for campaign financing, it's all against the law. Never held accountable. And when that was, I, I, know, I knew that we'd never return to a rule of law if there's not accountability. And the failure of the current administration to even deal with that issue says many things. It means that, first of all, not enough people up there with clean hands to deal with it. And then we could go on. Let's, let's go on. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. <laughs> divers' weights and divers' measures, both of them are alike, abomination of the Lord. This echoes several times through Proverbs. The idea of having false weights, false measures, uh, is obviously uh, a form of cheating, of stealing. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work is pure, whether it be right. He's all pretty straightforward. Each one could be an hour sermon. The hearing ear, the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. Indeed. Indeed. You know, as you study anatomy, you study the incredible complexity of the human eye. 
and you study the, 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 the acoustics of the human ear, uh, the fact that they're all tuned to frequencies which if they were brought in that would be interfere with function, that they're incredibly tuned to our environment and so forth, um, to realize that the guy who designed those is watching us. <laughs> Think about it. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Now, sleep and open eyes is just uh, it's, it's a question of laziness or diligence. It's a, it's, a, it's a figure of speech in a sense. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. Again, it's a call to diligence. It would be interesting to go through the book of Proverbs and just list the ones that are calls to diligence. We're going to run into several of them in tonight's lesson. And then we have the, the merchant here. It is not as is not, saith the buyer, but when he's gone his way, then he boasteth. You're buying the used cars. It's terrible. It's got this defect, that defect, and so you finally agree on a price. And as soon as you drive away, you tell your friends, man, did I get a steal. <laughs> Human nature. There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. This is just one of the many ways it extols the fact if you're going to acquire things, acquire knowledge. That's far more precious than tangible material goods. Take his garment that is a surety for a stranger, and take the pledge of him for a strange woman. There are a lot of thoughts that are buried in this one. Not only this, the whole idea of taking a, a surety is rather strange here, but the, the guy that's provided, the, the, the guy that it, the, you're taking it for, is, is, he's going to lose his pledge. That's like getting a free gift because these guys are going to end up, the, the, the guy's going to have strange woman is heading for disaster as, he, as he's amplified back in chapter 5 and 6. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Eloquent way of saying that uh, the people who are guilty of fraud will be defrauded. Every purpose is established by counsel and with good advice make war. This is just another echo of the, the uh, in many counselors there's wisdom. Every purpose is established by counsel. Don't be a loner. Seek good advice. And with good advice make war. Boy, could you write a book on examples of leaders that failed to listen to counsel. Um... As a professional military, half a dozen anecdotes pop into my mind, but I don't think we need to deviate there. Uh, it's interesting, if you read Eisenhower's book, Crusade to Europe, Crusade to Europe in Europe, uh, when he was head of the uh, Combined Forces in World War II, he made the comment that if Hitler had been launching his V-2s, Six months. He started six months earlier. He would have turned the he would have turned the tide of the war. What's interesting, if you do a little homework and re read the writings of Major Dornberger and the, and the German guys, they had him working two years before they used him. But Hitler woke up one morning. He had a dream that no none of them would ever reach the reach England. So he canceled the program. And the Harris Waffenamt, the 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 the, 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 the uh, war office of G Germany, found money. They, they bootlegged the project, kept it alive secretly for uh, about 18 months. Uh, Penny Mundi was a secret and all that until they, 
And it was interesting that um, um, the fire, of course, did start shooting him, but by then it was too late and there's a lot other issues. But, but it's interesting how we had a, a, a leader that had at his disposal the finest general staff that's ever been assembled. Guys who went back four or five generations as professional military, the, the Prussian general staff, were brilliant, the best military minds you could find. But Hitler wouldn't use them, didn't trust them, and uh, didn't take advantage of them. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Moving on. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. We covered this when we went through all of them collectively, in effect, on this whole business of a gossip. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Notice that the injunctions against talebearing doesn't have to do whether it's true or false. Being a talebearer of things that are true still can be inappropriate. You still can cause unnecessary injury by doing that. Meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. If someone's flattering you, you need to recognize that that hypocrisy will echo on, 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 on you when your back is turned. Whoso curses his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. And uh, <laughs> to have one's lamp snuffed out is just a, a picturesque way of referring to death. And there are lots of verses that do similar kinds of things. Um, obscure darkness or pitch darkness is the term we would use actually means the pupil of the eye being of darkness in other words referring to the darkest time of the night but again the basic idea is you don't want to curse your father and mother it's just a picturesque way of underscoring that an inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning but the end thereof shall not be blessed can you think of an example of that give you a clue Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son. Eloquent amplification of this very verse. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the iTunes or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ, as you study his word.